If I didn't have my glasses on, I couldn't see. I wouldn't know there was anyone there. Good evening, everyone. Oh, that's more like it. Welcome. So sorry, Kendall, for um, sending people to Willow Park instead of Norrell Park. That's all right. Maybe next Sunday you can give me a notice more than a minute before the service too, which would, would really help. That's what we call payback. I've got a couple of assignments for you tonight. You're sitting with people I'm hoping you feel comfortable with because I'm going to ask you to speak with them in a moment. A few years ago, well, if you're not sitting with people you feel comfortable with, you've got about 30 seconds to move. There's a couple of people shifting a bit. A few years ago, I had a student come to me as he had just concluded his Bachelor of Theology, done five years, and uh, Barry won, his name was, and he sat down with me in my office and he said, look, it's fantastic to be finished this degree in uh, Bible and theology. I'm going to go back to my place and I have a problem. And I said to Barry Wan, what's the problem? And he said, well, um, I've been offered three jobs and I don't know which one to take. Now, that's not a bad problem to have, is it? He was keen, very keen, to apply all of the things that he had learnt over the past five or so years. And he said, I've, I've been offered a role in my denomination, in uh, the place that he lived, uh, as, as the secretary there. I've been offered a role as a chaplain in a school and I've been offered a role in another place somewhere else. And I'm trying to figure out which one is the one that God wants me to take. How do I know God's will in this situation? Now, your task is to take 30 seconds to talk to those around and figure out what you're going to say to Barry one. Okay, put your counsellor hat on for a second. What are you going to say to a young man like that who's posing a problem? How do I know God's will for me in a context like that? You can think about it for a second or you can start talking if you're an external processor and see what you can figure out. Okay, we got an answer. I don't, oh, you're not ready, you're still, how much longer do we need? Half an hour, all right. We, unfortunately, we don't have half an hour. Now, I'm not going to ask you to actually call out your answers because um, I'm sure in a gathering like this, we would have a great range of ideas and I'll come back to that question in a few moments. And the reason I want to come back to that question is because as I started to unpack the passage that we're going to start with tonight from Colossians, the book that we're going to move to, having just finished our series in Philippians, one of the words really jumped out at me and that was that Paul, who said to this Colossian church, I'm an apostle by the will of Christ, by the will of God. And one of the perennial questions that I'm asked very, very commonly by people when they come and sit down and ask for prayer is, how do I know God's will in this decision or in this place in my life or as I move into a new stage or a new relationship or a new job or whatever it might be. It was the question that Barry asked that particular day too. How can I know God's will? So we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking that question tonight even though I'm very confident that in the context of, uh, of the teaching here at Wodonga, this topic will have been touched on on various occasions in various contexts. Would that be true? Some people are saying yes, some people are not so sure. So we might have an exam at the end of the sermon to make sure you're listening tonight. 
I think it's probably something that has been talked about, so I'm not even going to attempt to cover everything in this topic, but make a few comments about uh, understanding or, or knowing the will of God. A couple of uh, common mistakes, three encouragements and one challenge as we unpack uh, these thoughts, which spring out of, although are not directly connected to this passage here from Colossians. As I said, we're going to start this series tonight from the book of Colossians. And I'm going to read just two verses, a very simple introduction tonight, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So we learn quite a bit straight away from that passage, don't we? Who, uh, don't we? Who wrote the passage? Who wrote the letter? It was Paul. Most people would agree that it was Paul, not someone writing under his name. Uh, he says that I'm an apostle, which uh, in the early church time was designated to those who had uh, seen Jesus. And although Paul had not seen Jesus in the flesh, in the sense that the other apostles had, Jesus had appeared to him and so he claimed to be one of the apostles. Uh, he has said here in this passage, he's an apostle by the will of God. In other words, it's God's purpose and will that he should be an apostle. He's working with Timothy. We know that Paul worked alongside a number of people through his ministry. He was not a lone ranger in that sense. And he's writing to a church in Colossae. Now, let me tell you, if you went to Colossae today, you'd be very disappointed by what you would find there, unless, of course, you were interested in archaeology. Because although in Paul's day, the church in Colossae was flourishing, as was the city, a church that had probably been started by a fellow by the name of Epaphras, incidentally, uh, the city was destroyed in around about AD 61, 62, somewhere around that time. It's a city that, if you can imagine it, if you travel up from Jerusalem way up across to Asia Minor, uh, up into what's modern-day Turkey or Turkey nowadays, it was a city not far from Laodicea, which we hear about in Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 3. It was a city not far from Hariopolis, which is another city that you'll find mentioned, and a number of other cities there, Philadelphia and a few other places as well. And unfortunately, uh, although Colossae was quite a well-known and famous city, in fact, they had a particular uh, quality of wool that they produced, a lovely purple wool, and we believe that that purple... Anyone got purple jumper on? Sahara, what colours are your jumper? I can't quite tell in the light. It's pink, OK. Well, if it was a little bit darker than that, it wouldn't be that far off the kind of wool that was produced in Colossae. And the name of that particular colour was given to the cyclamen flower. So those of you who know your flowers will know that purple kind of cyclamen colour. Uh, those words are all connected there. But the city was not a particularly rich city. And when it was destroyed in AD 61, it was not rebuilt, whereas some of the cities around it that had a lot more money were able to be rebuilt. And there's lots um, that we do know about uh, this city. We do know a little bit about the church, but there's lots that we don't know. As far as we can tell, Paul never actually visited Colossae. As far as we know, someone else actually planted the church and one of the things that we might say about Epaphras, as we learn here in verse 7, although we haven't got to that part tonight, is he was a servant, a minister alongside Paul, a guy who was not into building his own kingdom. And so he had planted the church potentially and uh, didn't want to make a name for himself 
uh, because of that. But what we do know is that the Christians in Colossae were struggling with some of the same things that the church in uh, the book of Philippians that we were looking at were struggling with and some of the same things that we might struggle with ourselves from time to time because one of the things that Paul kind of hits, even though he may never have been to this city and didn't necessarily have a personal relationship, is that Jesus is sufficient, which suggests that there was some teaching in the background saying, yes, Jesus plus other things. And as uh, Matt was uh, saying there, as we were going through uh, the book of Philippians, if Jesus is all, then Jesus is enough. And Paul wants to highlight that again in this uh, book as well, in this letter that he wrote to the Colossian church. It's not appropriate in any measure to say uh, Christ, yes, plus other things. That's not necessary. And we would proclaim that same truth today. It, Jesus is sufficient for us. What Jesus has done is enough for us. But what I want to do is leave some of those thoughts and just come back to uh, this business of the will of God because it's one of those itches that needs to be scratched from time to time and I'm thinking particularly uh, in a group like this where some of you are at the cusp of having to make some pretty big decisions. There's a number here of course who are in year 12 this year, you've got some decisions to make about what next year is going to look like. Some of you in year 9 or 10 have got some decisions to make about which courses you're going to study. Some of you who are looking at different uh, vocational opportunities, what am I going to do? What is God's will? is often a question very much at the forefront of uh, your thinking and the thinking of many others. And so let's have a little bit of a think about that. But here's another question for you uh, before we jump into that. Pop your hand up if you've got a favourite Bible verse. All right, now I'm not asking you that question to ask you to share it because to be really honest with you, uh, when I was a young person about the age of some of you, we used to, on occasions... In fact, pretty well every Sunday night, we would um, debunk from the church after church. We'd go across to the manse, which was next door to the church, and we'd sit in the pastor's lounge room and we'd muck around there until he kicked us out. And one of the things that uh, used to happen sometimes as we gathered as young people was this question, okay, let's go around the circle and share your favourite Bible verses. And to tell you the honest truth, it used to freak me out. I'll be honest, because I didn't have a favourite Bible verse. And you know what you do if you haven't got a favourite Bible verse? You grab your Bible as quick as you can and you start thumbing through it and you think, oh Lord, help me here. Um, you know, because I'd read, you know, at 14 years of age, I'd read the Gospels, I'd read, you know, from Genesis through to the end of Joshua when it starts to get a bit, all you know, the numbers and, you know, all that stuff, the law stuff. And, and I dived into some of... Uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah and I thought man who can make sense of that stuff and then I, I went to Revelation and that just was so confusing and so I didn't have a, a and what you do if you don't have a Bible verse is you just quickly find something and you open it up and the Bible always falls open around about the middle so you might jump to somewhere like um, Proverbs chapter 5 verse 6 uh, at the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body is spent I mean that's that's a winner what else have we got? Oh, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I didn't even plan that one. That's fantastic, you know. Here's one of the things that actually used to happen. 
I noticed, and I've noticed this over the years too, um, lots of people cite Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. Who knows what Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says? If this was your favourite verse, that's good, okay? I'm not about to bag you out or anything, but it's a really common one. And it's applicable to you, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, if, uh, if you're not familiar with it, says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What a great encouragement that is. As long as you understand that it was not written to you first, it was written to people a long time ago, and it was written to them in the context that the Lord would prosper them if they walked in obedience to Him as one of the first principles of any application as far as the Bible goes. You've got to understand what it meant to the original recipients and what it meant for them to do it before we apply it to ourselves. So if you're walking in obedience with the Lord, it's fair to say, yes, the Lord does have plans for you, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Great verse. But here's the problem. And as I said, a couple of... uh, potential problems with understanding the will of God. Some people read a passage like that and then believe that if God has a plan for me, my life task is to find out what that plan is. And this means I have to make sure that every decision I make is very carefully prayed prayed through and reflected on and tested to make sure that I get those decisions right. Because if I don't get that decision right, then there's all sorts of trouble, right? God has a plan, I have to figure out what that plan is. That means uh, there's, for you guys who are not married, there is one right woman in this world for you to marry. You have to find that person. That's a pretty heavy responsibility, isn't it? Who is that person? How will you know when you have found the right one? And if you do the kind of grab your Bible and flick through it like I said before, you might land on Proverbs chapter 21 verse 12 which says, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. (laughs) Now Paul of course had a what we call a Damascus Road experience where Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him and uh, confirmed his calling confirmed God's will upon his life, such a vivid experience is not beyond the realms of possibility. God does that. But in my experience, it's also fairly rare. And so discerning the will of God can be made a lot harder if we think there's just one thing we have to find. And I'll explain why I say that in a moment. Because the consequence of believing that there is just this one narrow road that I have to walk. Now, don't be confused about, you know, the image of the narrow road and the wide road. This is not the same thing I'm talking about. If I'm of the mind that there's this one, one narrow thing that God has for me, I could spend an awful lot of time worrying about whether I'm actually walking according to God's will. And I don't have a sense that was Paul's experience, nor should it have been. Because if we Uh, if we do live with this mindset that there's this one thing that God has for me to do and I have to find what it is, suddenly life becomes very complicated. For instance, I might have to start praying about whether I wear a jumper or a jacket to church. That sounds kind of stupid, doesn't it? But what if there was somebody coming tonight who needed to talk to a person who was wearing a jacket because God had said to them, there's going to be someone wearing a jacket you need to talk to tonight. And if I don't get it right, 
I might be stepping outside God's will. Or I might then have to start thinking, which side of the street am I going to walk on? Because God might have an appointment for me on the left side or on the right side. It becomes very, very difficult to to live even if we start to think uh, in that way. So I put it to you that one of the common errors that we sometimes make is uh, believing that there is just one road that we have to walk and find. Now, let me just um, uh, swing the pendulum back the other way. You know, God does have a road that he wants us to walk. He wants us to walk in obedience. He wants us to walk in his spirit. He wants us to walk in his light. He gives us uh, lots of instructions about how we are to walk. But when it comes to discerning God's will, let's not get um, towed up into what I think is wrong in some respects uh, of thinking that, you know, there's just this one thing and I have to make a decision on every possible scenario. The second common error that I think people make is um, one that looks like this. Uh, It was a little bit like the one that Barry One was facing. You see, he was faced with three choices. And one of the common mistakes is when we're facing with choices, trying to decide which one's the will of God, uh, the one that we think is going to be the hardest or the least likeable or the most distasteful, that's got to be God's will, right? Well, not necessarily. So, for example, if someone came to me and said, hey, um, David, would you consider being a chaplain? We have a couple of opportunities. Um, The Croquet Club in Wodonga is looking for a new chaplain. Would you consider being chaplain to the Croquet Club? They're all over 85. Uh, Lots of opportunities for funerals, you know, (laughs) all that sort of stuff. Uh, There's one opportunity. Or the other opportunity, you could be the chaplain to, I don't know, cycling group, something like that. Which one's going to be God's will? Well, clearly it's got to be the Croquet Club, right? Because that's the one I really don't want to do. Some people have this wrong idea that it must be the hard stuff that God wants me to do or the stuff that I'm not really going to enjoy the stuff that I'm not passionate about. Now, don't get me wrong, there might be times where God calls us into places that are going to be hard or difficult, challenging. But what I said to Barry one was this, you've been asked to be the secretary of this denomination, you've been asked to be the chaplain out there at Green River, you've been asked to do this. I said, which one kind of floats your boat most? Which one fires you up the most? Which one would you like to do? And he thought about it for about three and a half seconds. He said, I'd really like to do that. I said, well, go for it, man. Because I think sometimes what God does is say, here's a selection of things. They're all within my will. You choose. You make a decision based on your experience, on your passions, on your energy, on the thing that's going to excite you, where you think you're going to be able to exercise your gifts the most because I have prepared you for this time. And here's the first piece of good news, the first two warnings or or mistakes. The first piece of good news is this. Even before you were born, God was shaping you, shaping your personality, your character traits, your life experience, uh, so that as you walk according to his will for life, it won't be a chore but a joy. God's created you in such a way so that as you walk according to your will, you will find satisfaction, you will find joy, you will find fulfilment in that. 
And as I said, when Barry one came, I did ask him, what are you going to enjoy the most? And he said, I'd love to do this one. Now, I'm sure that going into that context came with some of its challenges. It was never going to be a piece of cake. But here's something I'm convinced of. God doesn't try and belt square pegs into round holes. He's shaped you, created you in such a way to fit somewhere in his will. And one of the first questions that I would ask you if anyone ever came to me and said, you know, what sort of ministry do you think God might be calling to, uh, to do in service here in the context of the church? My question to you is going to be, what do you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? What are you passionate about? Because that's an indicator to me and others too, of course, who will confirm that, of what God's doing in your life already. The things that we enjoy, the things that we're passionate about, the things that energise us are often the very things that God is pointing us towards. And if we go back to Paul, who of course wrote uh, this uh, letter to Colossae, uh, if you'd asked Paul that question, what are you passionate about? His answer would have been obvious. He loved to teach. He loved to engage in debates. He loved a bit of argy-bargy. He was a scholar of the highest order. He was God's man for this job to be an apostle. The gifts that God had planted in him from years ago were those that he was able to exercise as an apostle. Was it easy? Of course it wasn't easy. Was it a piece of cake? Never was. He struggled but it fitted nicely with the way that God had prepared him. So that's the first piece of good news. The second piece of good news is this. As I've said to you already, I don't believe that walking according to the will of God is like walking a tightrope where... uh, if we take the wrong step, we fall into the abyss. Now, I'm not talking about sin, that's another matter uh, altogether. Uh, There are clearly times where we have to make choices between right and wrong and good and evil. But I believe that there's actually times where God says there are choices that you can make, any of which will be in my will. Let's take creation, for example. This is... um, This probably didn't happen, but can you imagine this happening? Adam and Eve were standing there in the garden on that first day after creation, looking around, and what did God say to them? You may what? You may eat from any of the fruit in the garden, except that tree over there, that's out of bounds. You can have any fruit that you like. And so what did Adam do? He said, well, which one do you want me to eat from, Lord, because I want to do this according to your will. And God said... You can eat from any tree in the garden except for that one. And Adam said, that's fantastic. I really want to walk in. What about this tree? Can we eat from this tree? And God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Adam said, I really want to do your will. This tree looks good. This is an apple tree. Are we allowed to eat from the apple tree? What does God say? You can eat from any tree in the garden. Adam said, great. I love apples. But I'm not sure because this apple tree's been grafted. It's got green apples and it's got red apples. God, which colour apples do you want me to eat? Because we want to do this according to your will. And God said, (laughs) come on, get with the program here. You can eat from any tree in the garden. And Adam said, fantastic. Well, tonight we're going to eat from the red apple tree. But I want to do this according to your will. So how do you want me to cook the apples? because there's a few ways we could do it and I want to get this right. Should I stew the apples or should I bake the apples or should I... What else can you do with apples? 
You can eat them raw. You can make them into apple crumble. You can do all sorts of stuff with the apples. But Lord, I want to get this right. So should it, should it be stewed apples tonight or should it be baked apples tonight or should it be apple crumble tonight? And God said... And by this stage, God was starting to get a bit frustrated with Adam because he put all of these selections before Adam and said, here you go, man, make a choice. Oftentimes... I believe that God does this with us too. He says, work within my will for you. Use the wisdom that I've given you. Use the experience that you've had. Use the uh, life that you've uh, been given to, uh, to make these decisions. Of course, uh, we need to walk according to uh, obedience we need to walk with discernment. We need to choose with this knowledge built up from experience. And there's some questions that we might ask as we do that, of, of course, to help frame that. Questions like this, will it advance the kingdom? You know, if I go in this way, is it actually going to advance the kingdom? Is it something I'm passionate about? Does it fit my skill set? Is it honouring to God? Is it confirmed by wise counsellors? You know, one of the wise things, and this is probably not something we want to unpack much tonight, in terms of discerning the will of God, checking it out with other people, not just doing it in your own head. Is it something that wise counsellors are able to confirm for me? Will it stretch me? Will it cause my faith to be extended? If the answer is yes, then chances are God will use it. And God might be saying, you can go this way, you can go that way, you can go that Any of these things will be according to my will. Just walk forward uh, in trust and faith if it ticks those kinds of boxes. Third piece of uh, good news is this. When Jesus died and returned uh, to heaven, he gave us a wonderful and amazing promise. He said he would not leave us as orphans. He would not leave us alone. He was going to send a counsellor, who we know as the Holy Spirit, of course, who is going to help us and lead us and guide us. And that's probably one of the most critical things in terms of discerning God's will too. Some years ago, as I've already said to you on another occasion, a craze swept through the Christian world which resulted in stores like Kurong making a fortune selling those rubber wristbands. You remember what they had on them? WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now, there's lots to be said for asking that question. What would Jesus do? That's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask because it helps us think about the kind of relationships that we might have with others. It's a good question to ask because it might cause us to pause and just think before we act. But there's two problems with that. First problem is, how would you know what Jesus was going to do in any situation anyway? Just ask the disciples. Because sometimes they just went, wow, why did he do that? You know, Mark chapter, uh, let me think, chapter 8, verse 23, uh, there's a guy who's brought blind brought to Jesus. What does Jesus do? spits in his eye and heals him, you know? What are you going to do when someone comes up and says, oh, I've got a sore eye, can you have a look at my eye tonight? Are you going to do what Jesus did? There was another occasion, this one's in John chapter 9, I think it's around verse 21, another blind person comes to Jesus, what does Jesus do on this occasion? He spat on the ground, stirred up a bit of mud, slapped it on the guy's eye. Well, there's another good strategy, you want to try that sometime. What would Jesus do? I don't know. Very difficult to know. 
sometimes because Jesus was one of those kind of left field messiahs. He just kind of did stuff that befuddled people, if we can use that word. So that's the first problem. But the second problem is probably even more significant. In, uh, in asking that question, what would Jesus do? Uh, it actually makes an assumption that's not right. And that assumption is that Jesus isn't with us. You think about that for a second. I'm wandering around here thinking, what would Jesus do? Totally ignoring the fact that Jesus said, if you're one of my followers, if you've opened my heart to me, I will come and live in you. And so as I live in you, I will direct you, I will guide you, I will shape your decision-making, I will speak into your life, I will allow, uh, allow you to make decisions uh, within my will, I will work with you. And uh, we've got to keep in mind, of course, that the Holy Spirit is none other than the Spirit of Jesus. And I can expect that if the Spirit of God is alive in my heart and I'm walking in His ways, He will guide my steps. He will help me when I make decisions. He will be there speaking into my life if I'm walking in obedience with Him. Of course, I'm going to have to pray. I'm going to have to listen, I'm going to need to be disciplined, I'm going to need to dive into the Word, just because the Spirit lives in our hearts doesn't mean suddenly we're just free to kind of do whatever. Uh, but it does tell us again in Proverbs, and this is one of the better verses from Proverbs to refer to tonight, uh, Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and what happens? He will direct your paths. That's a great promise from the Scripture. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And the reality is this might mean that as you walk in obedience with God, you may hear little in terms of a direct voice speaking directions to you, maybe for days, weeks, months, years. But for those who are serious about seeking God's will for their lives and are endeavouring to walk in obedience to God, then the words of Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 are true, which says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. There's that wonderful promise that God is with us and will direct us. I don't believe that uh, God is in the business of keeping us in the dark about what His will is for us. And perhaps the most, the sharpest, relevant, pertinent thing I can say to you tonight is if that's a question you're asking, you know, what is God's will for my life? One of the questions that I might ask you is, how are you going walking in His will? How are you going walking in the Spirit? Some years ago, I had a friend uh, whose name was Gareth. He was an MAF pilot. And I have to say, I was really, <laughs> really thankful I never flew with him because I have a photo of Gareth. Uh, Gareth is standing on the top, the peak of a roof of a quite tall building with... Um, an ironing board strapped to each arm. <laughs> Testing out the aerodynamic capacity of ironing boards. Now, you might be asking a question, what on earth was going through his head? Well, so was I. Uh, but he was doing it just for the fun and uh, it was published to make a bit of fun of it. But Gareth, despite the fact that he was... Um, oh, he's completely loopy, actually. Um, <laughs> one of the things that he said to me one time have made a whole lot of sense. He said, you know, David, a few years ago I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, 
uh, it seemed like God was just here. The lamp of His presence or the light of His presence was just here and all I had to do was follow it and it was that easy, you know. I'd ask God a question and He'd tell me the answer. I'd ask Him a question, tell me the answer. Do I go this way? He'd tell me this way. Do I go that way? He'd go that way. But He said, here's what happened. He said, over time, it seemed like that presence, that's probably the wrong word, that lamp moved further and further out. It wasn't that I was falling out of relationship with God. It wasn't that I was becoming less and less a Christian. It wasn't that God was becoming more distant from me. It's just that this light that was showing me the way wasn't as bright as it was anymore. And he went on to say, and what happened was in that context, I had to start thinking harder and working harder and digging deeper into God to know what he wanted me to do. I had to get more serious about my faith. I had to depend more on the Spirit. I had to depend more on the inner voice of God's Spirit speaking into my life. And his reflection, I think, was a really interesting one. Not a bad one either because it actually drove him deeper into God's Word. It uh, drove him deeper into prayer. It created space in his life where God's voice could be heard above the din of all the other activity. In those early days, there was a lot of other noise in his head. But over time, he had to clear that space so that he could hear that. And it's lovely when God speaks to us in a manner that's really uh, audible or unmistakable. But as I said earlier, in my experience, it's relatively rare. Some people seem to have that gift. That's terrific. Others of us don't. For most of us, uh, what God is looking for, and this is the challenge is a disciplined life of walking in the Spirit. That long, steady, committed relationship with God, learning to trust Him, and it's in that space that we learn to hear the voice of God. That certainly had been Paul's experience. He had, at times, obviously had that very upfront, in-your-face kind of experience of God uh, intervening. He met Jesus on that road. But throughout life, we have evidence through Paul's life of other times where he just spent time on his knees, listening, allowing himself to be guided by the Spirit. And there is a challenge for our time. Over these next few months, we're going, or well, next few months, the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this little book that focuses us, us again on the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Jesus is supreme over all and is enough for us. We're going to come to the communion table in a few moments where we'll just unpack uh, very briefly a couple of words there that I haven't touched on tonight but let's take a moment to pray shall we. Father we want to thank you that you do speak into our lives, that you are a God who is uh, a communicating God, a God who speaks, a God who wants to speak, a God who loves to speak to us. We thank you that you've given us your spirit who speaks to us. And Lord, we would confess, I would confess there's been times where I've fallen into the traps of, of uh, well, all sorts of things, being too busy to listen, too much noise to hear what you're saying, fixated on a particular idea that I had that um, I wasn't prepared to listen to what you were saying. Father, we want to thank you, though, that you are such a gracious and forgiving and uh, loving God, that even when we do make mistakes, even when we get it wrong, even when we step outside your will, even though we make decisions that sometimes uh, take us off that path, 
you restore us by your grace and love. Lord, as we uh, reflect on your word, as we think about what it means to live uh, under the direction and guidance of your spirit, I pray that you'll make that a reality for each of us. And particularly so, as uh, there are some here making decisions that are going to be significant in life, making decisions that will set a direction, we pray, Lord, that in all ways and all times it will reflect your will and your purpose. We thank you that you have promised to us that you will make a way and that you will show us the way, that you will speak. And so we commit ourselves to you to that end now in Jesus' name. Amen.